right, the rest is history. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm Frank Skinner and welcome to The Rest is History. I'm someone who loves history, but I've always struggled to retain the facts. My history life is like my love life. I never get past the first date. <laughs> but tonight I'm going to learn about history and the headmistress of this little school is our historian in residence, Dr Kate Williams. So, Kate, who are my fellow pupils tonight? Well, we have our splendid guest, the producer of Blackadder, Spitting Image and QI, Mr John Lloyd, and our award-winning comedian and author, Katie Brand. So, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but what are your history credentials, would you say? John, you, you've got a historical background, have you not? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm very old, if that's what you mean. Well, <laughs> Blackadder was quite historical. Yes, Richard Curtis and I happened to have read the same book when we were at school called Looking at History by R.J. Unstead, which was for nine-year-olds, which we both <laughs> read when we were nine, and that is basically the research we did on it. So, so I'm here to learn, Frank, basically. <laughs> yeah, oh, good, so am I. And what about you, Katie? Do you have a historical background? No, I mean, I like Time Team. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't like that. People and... in bad clothes pointing at soil. <laughs> And I have got History A-level and History GCSE, but I can't remember any of it. That's brilliant, though. Yeah. Well, I haven't got any historical qualifications. <laughs> I did once stand in the outside smoking shelter at the Hotel de Van in Cheltenham watching uh, Simon Sharma smoke a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that was fairly That's historical. We didn't speak. I wanted to put my idea that I had for him at a TV show called Sharma-Rama. <laughs> But he, was, he didn't look approachable to me. <laughs> the moment was gone. What happens in Sharmarama? In Sharmarama, he talks about contemporary news events as if they oh. happened hundreds of years ago. So he gets lots of things wrong and makes massive generalisations. <laughs> could he have Bananarama? It's like special guests. I just think that would be dumbing it down. <laughs> OK, well, let's begin. We're going to begin with a round I call What Else? In this round, we look at people from history who are famous for one thing and try to find out their other achievements, if any. This week, Boudica. Now, the one thing I know about her is that she rode around in a big chariot with axle blades on the side. But what else? John and Katie, do you know anything else about Boudica? Well, apart from that some people call her Boudicca, yes. which I think is now considered wrong. Well, I, at school we always called her yeah. Boudicca. And she was, I think, queen of the Iceni tribe from East Anglia. Oh. And I think she was quite... You think it would be a tractor rather than a chariot? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she supposed to be buried under a platform at King's Cross Station? Is that Ooh, right? Oh, I like the sound of that. Cause, and I always thought that because I think it's the next platform to where Harry Potter went to Hogwarts on. <laughs> oh, OK. Really sure. I'm interested in that because it was definitely Boadicea when I was at school. Yeah, why I'd did like, it but change? What, we, we were talking about that earlier. What happened to. It used to be the Himalayas who talk about the Himalayas. Have you been to the Himalayas? <laughs> Why did Boudicca become Boudicca? It was initially Boudicca, and then, basically, she was forgotten. She was the, not the Queen of England, as often thought. She was the Queen of a part of Norfolk, and she was the leader of the Iceni tribe who pushed back the Romans who came to conquer her. She was super tough, and in the Middle Ages, she was forgotten about. And the Victorians came, and they said, we need a good queen. 
because there weren't many good queens, because they mm-hmm. all hated Elizabeth I, and like us, they thought she was a dreadful queen. Anne was no use, because she couldn't have an heir, and uh, basically Mary had burnt lots of people, so they were looking for a queen who was tough and rough, and they found Boudicca, and they called her Bodicea, because it just sounded a bit more feminine. So it's thanks to Victoria that we still know so much about her, except there's just one thing that's wrong. There were no knives on that chariot. You oh. are having a oh, laugh. I'm afraid so. Because there's no actual evidence for it at all, no archaeological evidence, and that's no. what the Persians did, not the early tribes, not the Iceneans. Actually, the Roman army, who's addressing his army against Boudicca, says, don't listen to all the racket that these savages make. They've got no weapons, so just beat them back. And that doesn't sound like someone who's coming along in a chariot covered in No, knives. but they saw them coming and saw, well, she's got no weapons because she's got reins in her hands. They didn't see the, nope. the big blade sticking out the sides. Yeah, sometimes like Batman on the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. Like, he would press a button and they all came out the sides. We don't, we don't know. Come on, let's just keep some hope alive. I like to think that she had a sort of a Swiss army chariot. <laughs> she could have all sorts of things. Bottle opener coming out like that. Removing things from the horse's hooves as they ran. <laughs> but there's one argument that basically the, the Romans were a bit embarrassed about how essentially Boudicca, an angry mum, beat them back. These super tough Romans were beaten back by a load of pagans and a woman with a couple of sticks. So they were pretty embarrassed and had to write it up saying, oh, well, you know, she had this chariot with loads of knives in it, so she was really okay. super scary. Yeah, there was 12 of them. Yeah. <laughs> Does she have a, a helmet with horns on it? She didn't have one of those either. Yeah. In fact, she was helmet-free. She let her hair flow out behind her on her chariot. But I've actually got the Romans talking about her. It's all about how she's this awful person. They said, in appearance, she was most terrifying. In the glance of her eye, most fierce. And her voice was harsh. She wore a great mass of the tawniest hair fell to her hips. And she wore a tunic of diverse colours over which thick mantle was fastened with a brooch. Sorry, she sounds hot. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds like Toya. (laughs) She's sort of like a female Braveheart. Yeah. How did she die? She died in battle. So they did actually get her in the end. And we have narrowed down the battle site. It is somewhere between London and Shropshire. But I'm afraid... It'll be a car park. <laughs> it's, it's, always, it's always a car With park. With the the legend that she's buried she's at King's Cross. She's not under King's Cross, anywhere near the Harry Potter. She is somewhere there, somewhere in between London and Shropshire. So there is everything to play for. We can still find her. You're going to tell me Harry Potter's made up now, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no! I possibly say. I, I am amazed, actually, because I think we're all searching for a feminist hero. But what a fabulous example of a strong woman. Yeah. Tough girl. <laughs> OK, now, history's been written about, sung about and joked about, so I'm going to look at entertainment from the past in a round I call The Old Ones Are The Best. This week, I've got a riddle. <laughs> Now, we rarely use riddles in modern life. I occasionally use that most basic of riddles when I'm trying to get into an exclusive club. Do you know who I am? (laughs) Actually, I heard Pete Doherty say that once, and it was a genuine (laughs) inquiry. So do you remember any riddles from the past? What's the most famous riddle from the past, would you say? Oh, no, my mind's gone completely blank now. If I said sphinx... You mean the Sphinx, the statue in Cairo? Oh, yeah, that Sphinx. Not just an animal, a Sphinx. Yeah, not Dave Sphinx <laughs> from um, BBC Radio 5 Live. Well, the, the famous riddle of the Sphinx is what starts on four legs and then on two legs 
and then ends on three legs. What starts on four legs? Yeah, it a is. A baby and then a, uh, an adult and then an old man with a stick. That yes, one? that's correct. Oh, that's on. the famous riddle. Is it a he or a she, Kate, the Sphinx? It, the Sphinx, essentially, it's a bit strange. It's a monster. Oh, and it's a monster. Fair it's a monster. <laughs> and it hangs outside Thebes. And anyone who wants to go in Thebes, it says, you've got to answer my riddle first. Okay. Is that the riddle they asked about the yeah. four legs? Yeah. So everybody got in, like, immediately no. in Thebes? No. no. That was a hard one. That was hard. Well, basically, you just walked in and just got it, John, yeah. just like that. So you've no. got, you, you know what you'd have got, John? So if you didn't get it, you'd have been strangled and eaten. But if you did get it, you got to go into Thebes and you got to get the kingdom and the previous king's wife. So that's a bonus. Well, that's great. Well, I must get along. <laughs> must get along. That's the famous riddle. But there was actually another... There was a sequel. Less, a bit like Grease 2, a less successful <laughs> sequel. This is the second riddle of the Sphinx. So I'll see if, what you make of this. There are two sisters. One gives birth to the other, and she, in turn, gives birth to the first. Who were the two sisters? Mm. Now, I'll tell you what, shall I just tell you the answer? Because yeah. it's quite tedious. <laughs> the answer is day and night. Oh. And apparently they are both feminine in Greek, hence they are sisters. I you think see that's what I mean? a terrible riddle. It's a lousy, it's, nowhere, it's not nowhere near the first riddle the Sphinx did. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to riddles then? They were, did you do riddles at school? Well, they're incredibly exciting, aren't they? They're very funny. <laughs> I like the uh, the oracle at Delphi that used to give riddles, didn't it? Uh, that particular one when the Athenians went up and asked, what should we do about the Spartans invading us? And the oracle said, put your trust in the wooden walls. <laughs> so they went and built wooden walls all around the Acropolis and they were defeated by sea because they should have put their trust in the wooden walls, meaning ships. Mm. So they got tricked. Yeah, you mm. see, why do they do that, the soothsayers? Why don't they just come out and be factual? Nostradamus was the same. Yeah. Nostradamus would say, yeah, a, a robin will land on a wooden fence. And people said, there you go, Hitler. Mm. <laughs> well, Jesus, you know, people would just ask Jesus straightforward questions about taxes and things. You know, he'd say this kind of quite poetic stuff that seems to have lasted. But nevertheless, I can imagine people at the time were quite frustrated because some of them might have just genuinely needed tax advice. And it can be an absolute minefield. <laughs> yeah, but there's a bit more to the New Testament. <laughs> the New Testament is not a Q&A. <laughs> I'm never... Very, I mean, I'm the, the sort of modern riddle, I suppose, is um, cryptic crosswords, isn't it? I suppose that is a riddle. When, when was the golden age of, of riddles, Kate? <laughs> you know, we're a sadly riddle-less society i guess we've also got the cracker joke but they were really popular throughout history they we were, had the riddler we in had batman the, we that's, had the riddler. True. that's probably the he most was riddling the wine wasn't he turning it upside down that's what the riddling meant the was riddler it? in the in yeah, batman that's how he came have up. you got that's it mixed up with the the vintner <laughs> no. the vintner and say ha ha batman in a hail of corks <laughs> vintner, i'll stop you vintner his sidekick the sommelier <laughs> The golden age of the riddle, there were two times. Number one, in the Japanese court in the 12th century, where they were kind of exchanged as a way of currency. So the better you riddled, the better position you got and the better girl you got. And there's also the... God, times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the chance of riddling gets you nowhere nowadays. But that evolved into stand-up comedy, shortly. Yeah. That gets all the way. <laughs> That's true.
And uh, so actually the real golden age was the Anglo-Saxon times and they just loved riddling. And we know this because a monk collected the riddles and put them all together in a book, in the Exeter books. They're quite, quite rude. How did they rude? They don't, there's no swear words in Anglo-Saxon. No, there's no swear I mean, I could read you out one, I, I could tell you one. So this is an Anglo-Saxon one that I think, I can imagine them in the pub laughing over this one. So he says, I'm a wonderful creature. I bring joy to women and useful to those nearby. My position is high. I stand up in bed and I am hairy sometimes. (laughs) I think it could have done with a second draft. The effect of meeting me of being near me, this curly-haired woman, her eye will become wet. Any guesses? Is it going to be like an onion or something like that? (gasps) It's an onion. Is it? (laughs) Okay. So, Batman, <laughs> the next time... Oh, I'm You're really the best on. riddler. You get anyone you want at the Anglo-Saxon pub. Yes. I'm really pleased with that, I must say. OK, well, that's... Um, I think we're riddled out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I was wandering the city of London when I came across a small glass panel in the wall of the Bank of China. And behind it was a stone which the nameplate informed me was the London Stone. And I thought, it's either extremely significant or someone got the domain name early. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm very interested in this. Uh, So we're going to examine this in a round we call No Stone Unturned. So, John and Katie, have you heard of the London Stone? Is London Stone... I've only ever heard London Stone as being, like, a description of a particular shade of brick. That yeah, they, like York Stone mm. or something like that. And what kind could, of... What, what was the texture of it? Well, you weren't allowed to touch it. No, but what did it, appear, what did it look like? It was sort of grey. <laughs> <laughs> Which branch of Bank of China was this? It was in the city. I was, you know, sometimes you just wander around the city looking at interesting stuff. I don't yeah. know if you ever do that. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I really like those women in, in smart dresses who wear trainers because they're walking to work. Yeah. For example. Um, <laughs> you mean you, you, you're like them or you like looking at them? I like looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> they're not so threatened because they could be away like the wind at any second. <laughs> Is it a sort of sticking out stone? Is it not part of the no. original wall of the city or something? Well, I did wonder it was, if it was from the city wall, because, you know, the Chinese, they love a wall. <laughs> <laughs> I did think, wouldn't it be a brilliant novelty smash and grab <laughs> to throw some very heavy jewellery at that glass plate <laughs> and then run off with the stone? <laughs> OK, I want to know what, Dr K, what on <laughs> earth... Is the London Stone? Well, I'm afraid we don't know for sure. Oh, oh sorry, <laughs> sorry. What we do know is it's been there since about 1100 at least, and, there were, and we, it's been there for so long. So it's in Cannon Street now. It's in that spot, and it's been for a long time. It was moved around, and it was put next to St Swithin's Church, and then after that was rebuilt after the Great Fire, and then when that was bombed in the Blitz, it was then moved to a new safe place so in the Bank of China. So it, it was must... moved in 1962, but it's been there since 1100. So it must must be a significant stone. And that's the problem. Even Elizabethan tourists, even they were told they had no idea what it was. So maybe it was a prehistoric stone or an item for Druidic worship. But I think now it's pretty much been seen as this is talisman. But if we can't lose it, because if we lose that, we've lost London. Well, it's not very well known, though. As I've mentioned this to a few <laughs> people, and they look at me as if I'm some sort of buffoon. <laughs> but we really have no exact idea, because it's so old as to what it exactly is. but I really I... want to know what the London Stone is now. Why don't you make it your life's quest? 
Now, I think it's important to have a round that covers modern history, but the question is, where does modern history begin? Where do we draw the line? World War II, the reign of Queen Victoria, the Apollo 11 moon landing? I'd say the obvious place to draw the line is the first appearance of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> which was May the 5th, 1984. <laughs> so we'll be looking at events that have happened since then in a round I've called Turtle Time. <laughs> this week, the fall of the Berlin Wall. But can I say, before we go any further, it didn't really fall, did it? It wasn't an accident. It was politics. It wasn't high winds. <laughs> do you guys remember the war fall? Yeah, I do. And I also am related to a couple of people who were responsible for falling the wall. Shut up. Yeah, I am. <laughs> now, I have a piece of the Berlin Wall because my grandparents flew straight out there in 1989 with some little hammers and they helped to knock it down. And I've got my little piece here that says, with love to Katie from Grandma and Grandad, a piece of the Berlin Wall, 30-12-1989. Can you scrape it against the microphone? <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll scrape my piece of the Berlin Wall against do the it, microphone. Do it, do it. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's sort of as far as it goes with me in terms of actual knowledge. But I think pieces of the Berlin Wall are quite widely available, but... I've got a piece. Have you? Yeah, someone gave... My parents didn't go out there. They're far too right-winged. <laughs> <laughs> they were in tears watching it at home. Holding uh, a weight. <laughs> Keep them out, they were shouting. It was too late. Oh, no, sorry, that was Hadrian's. Um, <laughs> but did you watch it on the telly, then? Oh, yes, I watched it on the telly, and obviously the memory of David Hasselhoff is burned on my brain. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> We should... Uh, can I just play one of the songs that um, Hasselhoff did? What I think we'd call his Berlin Wall number. <laughs> I've been looking for freedom I've been looking so Brilliant. And, and he did that. He did a gig on the wall when he actually performed it that The irony song. was, of course, that while he was singing that, the East Berliners were desperately trying to rebuild it. Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the West is like. I don't want it. Actually, what, what partly was that he says it's all thanks to him because that song, Looking for Freedom, was number one in Germany for eight lengthy weeks in the summer before the war fell. So they thought they kept singing it and he was responsible for the zeitgeist. So when the thing actually did fall, who do we ask to go and play on it, surrounded by 100,000 lighters? It's David. Well, it makes sense. Night Rider. <laughs> also, it wasn't really the intention to knock it down, was it? It was sort of a mistake. I think the guy that was in charge of delivering a message that there had been some huge change of policy about the Berlin Wall, that they might consider bringing it down, he was sort of handed a note in a press conference or something like that. Yes. So he just sort of said, well, I've just been given this note that the Berlin Wall is coming down. And people went berserk and just went there immediately and overpowered all the guards who didn't know what on earth was going on and just started knocking it down. And, so, and then the sheer volume of people who were doing it, it just became... They all kind of said, right, well, I guess this is happening then, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and and kind of it. retrospectively sort what? of said, well, that so, was our policy all along. So it's vandalism. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. It was, a, it was a mistake. It was the same with the Great Wall of China. It started the Just one guy started with the London <laughs> Stone, and then other people joined in, and then there it was. <laughs> Is it true? Have I imagined this? Do you remember this, guys? That a guy pole vaulted over the Berlin Wall. 
ring that any bells? That does ring a bell, yeah. John, do you remember the pole vaulter? Wasn't the first guy who escaped across it was a border guard? That's one I remember. And there was a woman who married it in 1979. Do you remember <laughs> that? The Swedish woman. She changed her name to Ilse Berlinwall. Yeah. Berlinamauer. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was a fabulous documentary about women who fall in love with buildings. Yes. Yeah. But they're wow. always famous buildings. That's what gets me about those women. Yeah. <laughs> they never marry that chip shop around the corner. It's always the Eiffel Tower or something. <laughs> so did someone pole vault the wall? I think that's from a film. It sounds a bit carry-on, doesn't it? Uh, how, how can you pole vote over a wall? But it, what do you mean, how oh, can you pole vault <laughs> over a wall? They actually had to ban hang gliding because so many people were getting over using hang gliders. So they had to ban that till 1990. And they tried everything, uh, hot air balloons, uh, aerial wires. But no-one ever battered and rammed it. Uh, someone drove through in a pretty fast sports car. Yeah, they just didn't they stop. They drove through a wall? In the early stages, so really before 1980, it was... Well, uh, when it was more of a chiffon curtain. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, if it had been chiffon, I don't think people would have been so anti. <laughs> it wasn't all so tragic and sort of steeped in human misery. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. Like, I would have loved to have been thinking up ways to get over the Berlin Wall. <laughs> like, all kinds of ways you could get... It'd be like the sort of thing that you would sit yep. in your bedroom and try and plan. Can you imagine the reality TV show? <laughs> oh, no. Jump the wall. Jump the wall. But, I mean, actually, it's very heartening that 5,000 people, roughly, got over it, and uh, between 98 and 200 were killed, so a lot more got there. Hang gliding mm. was pretty effective. That's what I always say about the Berlin Wall. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> And so to our final round, called Kin Hopeless, in which we look at hopeless kin from history. The embarrassing sister, the half-wit son. This week we turn to the Wild West, where we look at Wild Bill Hickok's brother, who was known as, and I'm not making this up, Tame Bill Hickok. <laughs> Before we get to Tame Bill, <laughs> we should probably establish who Wild Bill was to compare and contrast together. Was he real? Who? Wild Bill? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So totally. he's not a fictional, he's not a film character. No, no, no. So, basically, he was born in 1832, so while we were busy being Victorian over here, it was the hardcore Wild West. He was in Kansas, he was in Nebraska, and he was, yeah, he's not the kind of guy you want to meet on a dark night. He's a gunslinger, he's a fighter, he's a gambler. He, he was. was wild. He mm. was wild. Okay. Spot on. Well, I know he was playing cards in a saloon and he was shot in the back. Because my dad used to say to me, remember that, if ever you're in a pub playing cards, or never sit with your back to the door. <laughs> Honestly, he seriously gave me that as advice. That's good advice. And also, what cards did he have? Was he, it aces and eights? He had an ace and he had a pair of eights, so that's a dead man's hand. Yeah, they poker, call it a dead so man's hand. So you don't want hand. it. It wasn't called a dead man's hand wasn't, before, No, no, was it? he was holding it, and then this other guy who was really cross because he'd beaten him in gambling a couple of weeks before shot him in the back. I like that he shot him because he was really cross. <laughs> <laughs> Wild Bill, am I right he was a marshal if I made that up? You know what, he was for most of his life, he was someone who chased down fugitives. So he was a fugitive from the age of 18. And then for most of his life, he was the bounty hunter. So poacher turned gamekeeper. So That's he ra- rode what his he was. horse around. Rode his horse around. Finding fugitives. Yeah, and, and then otherwise okay, he's so not what about, in Hawaii. What about Tame Bill? So Tame Bill, he was born a little bit later, and he was basically, he looked after the farm. While Bill went out shooting game and being tough, and, and, and Tame Bill stayed at home looking what, after things. Did they live together? Like, 
Morecambe and Wise. Well, they were brothers. <laughs> like, in their pyjamas in the bed at night. <laughs> well, you know, and, and actually, while Bill wasn't even called Bill, his name was James. But was his brother called Bill? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't called Bill either. So there was Wild Bill and Time Bill, and neither of them were called Bill. <laughs> so his brother was actually called Lorenzo. <laughs> Okay. Beginning to think they weren't brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who, that guy who lives in my house, what, the really good-looking one? No, 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 he's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> Wild <laughs> Bill suddenly takes on a slightly different... What other famous uh, nicknames are there from history? We've got a lot, you know, and they're pretty descriptive. So, Louis the Unavoidable, uh, basically... Oh, dear. <laughs> Unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we've got to have him. There's no one else because after Napoleon fell, they had no one else to be king. So they dragged this poor guy who'd been in exile in uh, Buckinghamshire and put him on the throne. And he it's was... quite helpful, isn't it? Though, is that if someone's here, it's a party and Ivan the Terrible's coming, you know, well, I might actually, I might go. <laughs> well, and if, if um, what's he called, Louis the Unavoidable? Louis coming, the Unavoidable. You think, well, you know, I'm just going to accept that. Or if you were doing like a. Um... <laughs> If you were doing a seating plan at a wedding, you know, you could say, well, I could put, you know, Ethelred the Unready next to Louis the Unavoidable. <laughs> <laughs> Louis the Unavoidable, <laughs> presumably, would be on every table. <laughs> so, did Tame Bill get any sort of fame in his time? Well, what Tame Bill did get to do was go to the trial of the man accused of killing Wild Bill, okay. and he, he interviewed the defendant and decided that uh, he could be hanged. And then he died, age 83, so he had a pretty nice life. Yeah, he was all right. Yeah, his brother got him a bit of extra money from robbing the odd saloon, and uh, he got to live on and be a cowherd and a shepherd. Shepherds are quite healthy, though, aren't they? Yeah. They get out a lot, fresh air. Yeah, look after the sheep. Walking up and down and so, stuff. So that's your choice, yeah. Katie. If you're going to the Wild West, would you be shepherd or gambler? Well, I like to think I could be both. I mean, don't oh. limit me. No, sorry, I wasn't. Give doing me that. a glass ceiling. Sorry, Food See, that was it with that. women in the in the nineteenth century. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, darling, but you'll have to be a gambler or a shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm loving the tale of uh, Tame Bill. I still want to know if Wild Bill was. A, I'm sure he was a lawman. A lot of them were bad guys and lawmen. It was a I think the point around that time was that the laws were kind of making themselves, weren't they, in, a, mm. in those do you sort know, of areas that were... Well, not do, do you know that the gun laws in Tombstone, Arizona, are less strict today than they were at the time of the OK Corral? <laughs> really? It was actually more difficult to shoot people in the 19th century than it is now. Wow. Really? Wow. What Wild Bill was, his bad luck was that he was born before the invention of wing mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> if he'd have had wing mirrors, he would have seen this man coming. Do you usually um, sit in the pub with <laughs> wing mirrors, Frank? I, I, uh, I would in the Wild West, I think. If you read about the Wild West, most of them are, died of consumption. That's what's always written on their death certificates. Really? Because it was the beginning of capitalism and... <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't acclimatised. They, 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 they went down with it. Fabulous times. <laughs> so Tame Bill, I think we have to say, was a bit unjustly named. And also, how come they missed the rhyme? Why not Mild Bill Hickok? <laughs> anyway, I think he was a good guy. Well, time's up. Here endeth the lesson. So did I learn anything tonight? Well... One thing I didn't know is that there was a Batman villain called the Vintner. <laughs> so I shall take that away with me. Thank you to Dr Kate Williams and our guests, John Lloyd and Katie Brand. And thank you for listening. And the rest, as they say... 
The Rest is History was hosted by Frank Skinner with Dr Kate Williams. The guests were John Lloyd and Katie Brand. And the producers were Justin Pollard and Dan Schreiber. This was an Avalon production for BBC Radio 4.